Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Chemovich, CTO and co-founder of Frugal. This episode is about bringing MVPs to production. With us is Peter Naftaliev, co-founder of Munch, a media startup. He is a thought leader in image processing, computer vision, and AI. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Liran. Happy to be here. Peter, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So I'm a programmer from a young age. I've been interested in AI um, since my teenage age, basically, a bit before it became uh, mainstream. I have a blog. For computer vision, computer graphics, and artificial intelligence. During COVID, that blog also evolved into an online community in this space. And from our community, we do um, Zoom events from, with researchers from around the world that work with computer vision, computer graphics, where the researcher is teaching about their subject of expertise, their know-how, and me and the audience can join and ask questions and get a bit more understanding of a specific topic in our field. These sessions are recorded and they're uploaded to YouTube. So there's also a YouTube channel. And basically, I turned into a micro content creator. And I was exposed to a lot of the difficulties in creating content, be it um, verbal or video-based or blog form, uh, written-based. And I developed some automations for myself, for my own workflows, which helped me with producing my content. And then we started talking to other content creators who also have their own difficulties, their own focus, To see how we can help them with the help of AI and automation to make their work easier, more enjoyable, faster, cheaper. And this evolved into my startup right now, which is called Munch. We're building an automation platform for content creators that create informative verbal content. And we help them create the content in the way they like most, in the format they like most that they're used to. And with us, they can transform to other formats and other content platforms. So actually, a good example will be this podcast that we're talking on right now. Um, we will probably use Munch to transfer it also into a blog post, into LinkedIn posts, possibly also Twitter threads. And this is what we're doing. We're transforming between the different formats for video content, audio content, and textual content. I've heard you recently launched your MVP, your first uh, real website, real application. Kind of, what was it like? It was an interesting experience. So uh, we are very, very early stage startup, very limited resources and got to move quickly. So basically we had our first software engineer um, come to work in the 1st of December. The 6th of December, we started writing our first pieces of code. And in the end of December, we needed to have an MVP out in production, working and serving our users. Before that, what we were doing is uh, we were transferring uh, YouTube videos and podcasts to blog posts for our users, and we were actually using Google Docs as our product because we could put the text, the blog post in the Google Doc, and then the user could look at it, change it, edit it, and publish the information from there how he pleases. But we wanted to make sure that our clients are getting a product that is much branded, that they see our logo there, that they see the user interface there, that the user interface complies with what they need from our specific product. And on top of that, we wanted to start doing the basic tracking and understanding of how a user interacts with our system. When they get, when they get the, the draft blog post that we create for them with our automation, 
What do they look at? How do they change it? How do they edit? Where do they say more? Where do they say less? This is important for us from a product reason so we can understand how to better create a product, but also for a ML, AI reason, because we want to make the engine better and better and improve it in the future. And for that, we need a data set exactly of this, of how a user gets an automatically created post and how they change it so that the automation in the future will be better according to user behavior previously. And we, all of this needed to happen in about three weeks of coding. So we had our product definitions, the screens available. We took it down to the really, the real minimum. Our product manager will be ashamed to even call this an MVP. He's calling this a pre-MVP. We took it down to the bare bones of what's the basic things that are required just to start running. And we started developing it in-house internally on our own computers. So how did the language go? What was good about it? What was not so good about it? So in the beginning, when we were developing just on our own PCs, we were actually ahead of schedule. After a week and a half, we already had the UI working. We had front-end talking to back-end. Everything looked amazing, um, was, was looking good. We had some small UI bugs, some small backend bugs, but nothing that we thought, okay, it'll take us a while. We're a bit ahead of schedule, which was nice. We're even adding more features on top of that bare bone thing we thought in the beginning. And then uh, luckily we thought of saying, okay, it'll take us time to really upload everything to the cloud, really make it production ready. So let's start uh, four days about ahead of time, ahead of the launch schedule and start already uploading everything to production. And then uh, interesting stuff happened. One of the things, uh, <laughs> let's start from the one that really sat on my head the most was basically we have a front end which is showing a full blog post with images, with formatting, with text. And it's long form. Sometimes an hour of somebody talking can be turned into tens of thousands of words for a post. This is a lot of data, not including the images. So one of the things that I was really trying to focus on with the team was when we're doing all our testing, it doesn't matter if the system is running locally or on the cloud already, let's test high bandwidth or more to say um, heavy on memory posts, posts that are maybe a megabyte, two megabyte in size, and see how our editor, text editor on the front end is interacting with the back end and how much time it takes if stuff are getting stuck, maybe exceptions are happening. And somehow every, everybody did the tests and it was all good. And then we uploaded to the production and we started running really and we, we have users coming in. And oh, a page takes 20 seconds, 30 seconds to load. And what happened there? We used a, a plugin, a text editor plugin uh, for HTML, JavaScript-based text editor plugin. And we were just uploading a full blob of text and images within the blob to that plugin. And it, will take, it was taking a long time to render the images. And what needed to happen is those images needed to be saved not as a blob on the, on the full text, but as references to a storage. And then the plugin, when it's working with a storage and it's working with a URL to a storage point, it could render these images separately from the entire post and basically have the type of lazy loading going on. The reason we didn't see this before was because we weren't working with specifically the exact type of content, with specifically the exact type of workflow. We're trying like copy paste on our own machines and it was working nicely until we saw like, okay, it's not just copy paste. You really got to try this in different ways you wouldn't have thought before to make it happen. So we had about half a day to switch from just a text blob to using um, Google storage and connecting our plugin to the storage. And the way we save the text blob is now different because within it, we need to save the URLs to the storage. That was one thing that was um, surprising, annoying, and yet somehow also expected. Another thing that happened on our devices, we were doing NPM start and the code will run in a few seconds. 
And if there's a bug, directly you go to the line of code, you change it, and amazing, it all works. And you can continue to the next thing. Once you start working on the cloud, we're running, I think this was run on um, Google Run. Either App Engine or Run, I think it's Run. We had both at the same time. Another thing, by the way, why did we have both at the same time? Because our software engineer, you know, it's first time of him experimenting with the Google Cloud um, platforms. So he found a good tutorial for how to put the backend on Google App Engine and the frontend on Google Run. So this is why we had the two mixed. Now, this is how it happens. You never plan for this in advance. And then the first search you find on Google that is helpful and you can see that you can use it, you use it and whatever it is, it's what you stick with. Now, what happened there was that suddenly we basically had a CI CD operation. Before that, nothing. Before that, we were just saving the code, NPM start, and that's it. And now we have a full operation going with the Google Cloud. And suddenly, every code we change takes 10 minutes for the cloud to repass, uh, re upload, recompile, and make available. Um, behind the scenes, there are Docker images being compiled, all of these things that we didn't even work with before. So any small incremental step, any small bug fix we got to do will take us basically 20 minutes to check if it's working or not. Suddenly you realize, okay, you can't be working on the main Git uh, branch. You got to be doing off-branching, testing it locally, and then only uploading it to production. Okay. Next thing was something is working on our local machine perfectly, but suddenly on the cloud, it's not working. Why? And suddenly you realize, okay, I need logging. Because on the cloud, on the on my local machine, I could debug, I could look at everything, I could do console log and everything, so I could see. But it's not really available for me on the cloud. What do I do? And here we were lucky because uh, Google they have a, like a log manager um, defaultly installed and available. So that actually that log manager is actually able to catch all the system log, um, the console log messages. So we could look at all those messages that are going internally in our code and debug basically um, through the log. Um, which was enough for us at that stage. We could use it to really understand where our significant um, problems are and fix it and then upload again. So here we were more lucky than smart in our planning. It was quite easy to find and to use. So you've mentioned you've seen a lot of bugs and issues after you launched into the cloud. How did you identify those problems? main thing that helped us identify is basically the entire team was in testing mode. This was a full operation that happened internally in the company. All of our employees were doing testing on the system, uploading posts, checking them, editing them, copying them. And this was the first way we, where we could find issues happening. Somebody's trying to log in the system. It's not working. And then, okay, why? Something is broken behind the scenes. Somebody is trying to put another link. It's not working. Why? Specifically, we've also put aside two days just for testing the system and really seeing those bugs. Uh, later on, we had um, a type of mix panel installed on our system so we could track user behavior and we could see what screens they're getting stuck on. Uh, we also used Hotjar for that so we could see what screens they're getting stuck on and then we could go back home and try the same link, try the same screen and see what's working and not. And through that, we could uh, identify the problems. Um, we did not plan um, for uh, having some sort of internal monitoring of, of the health of the system. We didn't have time for that. And now we're paying for it, you know, in retrospect, because we got to be looking at everything the user makes. And if a user is like stuck, so they're stuck and we didn't know it in advance. But this is part of startup life, I guess. Mm -hmm. What would you have done differently if you had to do the same, launch the same MVP all over again? So I think the important thing is to not think that um, we're really ahead of schedule before we're really in production. 
So the way to do this is to do the uploading to production and testing ahead of schedule and then finding out your issues and planning accordingly. You, in advance, you can't know what you need the access to. You just you can't think of all the variables while you're also thinking of, okay, how will the user will use my system? But you got to have some time available to do research and development for that uploading to production stage. It's not something that can take one day or two, if, especially if you include testing. Even for a micro, micro MVP, this is a process that could take as long and maybe even more than the original development of that thing on your local machine. And you got to plan accordingly. And I think we didn't plan that time frame right. Getting CICD right, getting some level of a production-grade deployment can often be tricky, especially if you haven't done it before, or at least for this technology. Exactly. I used to do CICD really uh, hands-on, let's say, eight years ago, maybe a bit more. AWS and Google Cloud were just starting to get available. Um, so there weren't so many tools and products for that. So it was quite simple. You know, okay, there's a specific product to do this and that's it. You don't need to go looking and to experiment. Today, for everything, for every problem you might have as a developer when you're uploading to production, you have two, at least two available solutions for the same platform. So Amazon will have at least two. Google will have at least two, Azure. And that's at least. And usually one is zero, the other one is older. And why? Because they had like issues with one and then they had customer base wanting the other. But you don't know this in advance when you're researching how to solve this problem. You just see a full list of different products. They all say they solve the same problem from the same provider. So you have no idea why even it's the same, why they have several products for that. And once you start using with one, you understand, oh, it's not solving this specific logging thing that I need. Oh, here, if I want to do some configuration, like, for example, where do I store passwords? How do I put them in when I'm uploading the production? Different products have different integrations with different things. You don't know this in advance. You, and you, you can't even think about searching for it because there are tens or maybe hundreds of these types of features you're, you need when you're uploading to production. And we actually found ourselves um, sending messages in a couple of groups of technical people saying, hey, who has ever used uh, Google Cloud for this or for that and can help us? Actually, almost nobody knew. Almost nobody knew the specific type of thing that we needed because there's so many products and so many features. Yeah, that's usually a bad sign. If you're asking about technology and nobody can help you about it, it's probably not very popular and you might not want to be using that. Yes, this is true. What we found out was that Amazon, for example, Amazon Cloud products are much more um, mainstream in our community. Most of our friends know the issues and the good things with these products, less so with Google. So we're actually internally now thinking of switching to Amazon. We'll see. Awesome. So what does the future hold for uh, for Munch, for your product, for your engineering? So that's a good question. <laughs> we have uh, basically two fronts. Maybe let's even talk about Munch as a whole. And from this, we could talk about the engineering. Munch is an interesting company because it's a company that building a very non-trivial tech, AI-based tech for transforming content between formats. But at the same time, the product also is non-trivial. How does the user use the system? How do we and do we schedule connections to other platforms, other social networks? How does the front end look? Not just behind the scenes, the, the brain of the system, but also the front of it. How does the user interact with the system? 
So usually startups, they try to focus on one issue. It'll be either creating a killer ass product and interface or creating killer ass tech behind the scenes. We're doing both. So one of the, and this is maybe more on a strategic level for engineering, one of the challenges there is what type of workforce do we try to recruit? Are we going on uh, good, smart, full stack engineers that could do everything, including um, integrating with the right um, AI APIs? Or are we recruiting a deep research team behind the scenes that will sit in the bunker for half a year, a year, create the amazing tech, and then we'll launch it to the world? Now, what we discovered is that we need both. We're going to be running in parallel. So full stack engineering will be creating the system, integrating with all the systems, experimenting all these things we just talked about, and also now experimenting with how to connect in production to Twitter, to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to Medium, to WordPress, all of the platforms where content resides. And also, what are the limitations of these connections? Maybe you can't upload from your product to Medium. Maybe when you're connecting to Facebook, you can't do specific automations that you need. Maybe you can't do the tracking that you want for Twitter. So we got to be researching into this space. At the same time, we need to really be creating some sort of deep learning tech behind the scenes that is actually um, in the academia now is the frontier. And all the time, tracking user engagement, tracking edits of users, because this will be that data set that we need for our deep learning system behind the scenes. That's awesome stuff. Now, you've mentioned that you've been coding ever since you were young and you've been into AI for like forever. So there's one question I would love to ask you, and that's what's the single bug that you remember the most. Uh, this was actually a JavaScript bug. It, it was not my bug. It was really the implement. It was before, I think before Chrome existed on Explorer, I think it was. So I had, I don't know if it was a model window or a pop-up, I think a pop-up. I built a system uh, where there's a pop-up coming up, a specific pop-up depending on what the user did with specific information on that pop-up window. And no matter what I did, the bug was that sometimes, no matter what you did in the original window, the pop-up is the same. So no matter if I change some info that should change the pop-up, it remains the same. What's happening there? Why was this happening? So the thing behind the scenes was that Because the URL for the pop-up was staying the same, it doesn't matter that behind the scenes, maybe in the request there are changes, but the URL is the same. The browser is storing in cache that page that that should be showing that URL. So it's not really doing that logic behind the scenes that I needed to do. And the way to solve that, which took me a long time, there was no answers online to find out how it's going. And then I talked to my manager then and he said, you know, this sometimes happens with uh, pop-up windows, try this thing. And the thing was, add on to the URL another parameter, which is random, just a random generated parameter, just to make sure that the browser is really trying to go back and get the information that it needs. It was so annoying. (laughs) It was like such a long time wasted just on a stupid bug. Definitely. Well, stupid bugs can be important. This is why we pay engineers a a lot of money. (laughs) Awesome, Peter. It's been great having you on the show. I wish you plenty of luck in Munch. And if everybody is interested in, you know, converting content and creating more content, you should definitely check Munch out. Thank you, Leon. It was great being here. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. 
Thanks again for joining us.